Neuropathways, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring the latest research discoveries and clinical advances in the fields of neurology, neurosurgery, neurorehab, and psychiatry. Nearly two-thirds of individuals living with Alzheimer's disease are women, and while the mechanisms driving this discrepancy are not fully understood, it underscores the need to pinpoint sex-specific biomarkers that could aid in early detection and diagnosis. In this episode of Neuropathways, we're discussing ongoing research that seeks to identify candidate blood-based biomarkers that could be utilized to improve clinical care for women with Alzheimer's disease. I'm your host, Glenn Stevens, neurologist, neuro-oncologist in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute, and joining me for today's conversation is Dr. Lynn Beckris. Dr. Beckris is Associate Staff in the Genomics Medicine Institute within Cleveland Clinic's Learner Research Institute, Director of the Cleveland Alzheimer's Disease Research Center Biomarker Core, and Co-Director of the Cleveland Clinic Luruvo Center for Brain Health, Aging, and Neurodegenerative disease biobank. Lynn, welcome to Neural Pathways. Thank you for having me. So Lynn, I get more interested in these topics as I get older. I know we're concentrating on women today, but as I get older, I'm much more interested in what's going on in the Alzheimer area. And as I always tell my wife, you know, females always live longer than males. And I think age is probably the the strongest risk factor for dementia. But uh, I think you're going to tell us and we're going to you're going to educate us on some other uh, specific sex differences. So your research specifically is focused on biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease. So to start, can you define for us what a biomarker is and then give us an overview of validated biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease and how they can be utilized? So biomarker first. Yes. So what is a biomarker? It is a characteristic that is objectively measured and evaluated as an indicator of normal biological processes or pathogenic processes or pharmacologic responses to a therapeutic intervention. So biomarkers can serve as a warning that something is disrupted in a person's normal healthy function Some examples are elevated blood pressure or cholesterol levels. And if there is a therapeutic intervention, for example, uh, treatment with an antihypertensive drug, then lowering of the biomarkers, such as blood pressure, indicates that the treatment is effective. And specifically, can you give us an overview of validated biomarkers in Alzheimer's disease? Yeah, so in Alzheimer's, the hallmarks of the disease are the pathological accumulation of amyloid and tau proteins in the brain. And uh, amyloid and tau are validated biomarkers of the disease and can be measured in cerebral spinal fluid, uh, which is the fluid that bathes the brain and can be sampled from the base of the spinal column. Amyloid can also be measured by brain imaging during the life of the patient as well as in the brain after death. So for Alzheimer's disease, we have good biomarkers of amyloid and tau proteins. Um, And these include brain imaging and amyloid tau proteins found in cerebral spinal fluid. So I know a number, there's been a number of drugs released recently and 
and still coming on the market to treat uh, amyloid deposition. Uh, and uh, I think you're going to talk to us about maybe some other potential abnormalities in Alzheimer's disease, possibly looking at inflammatory reaction, those types of things. So you have a project going on investigating blood uh, based biomarkers for Alzheimer's disease, specifically in women. Uh, what was the impetus behind focusing on women? And then we'll get to your study. So we're very excited about this project. This project is supported by a Women's Alzheimer's Movement Research Award. And we came upon the premise of the study um, because we had done a, a pilot study that we focused on a question because uh, Alzheimer's disease risk is genetically linked to multiple immune system genes. So we did a study to address the question of whether people with Alzheimer's disease have a different immune factor signature in the circulation, so in blood plasma. And that study was funded by the Aging Mind Foundation and it revealed that immune factor signatures are significantly different in people with or without amyloid and tau proteins. But another really interesting finding was that uh, we observed there was a difference in the immune factor signatures in women compared to men uh, with or without Alzheimer's disease-related amyloid and tau. So we think that this finding is really important because a disproportionate number of women have Alzheimer's and more women than men have immune system related uh, disease. So our finding could be revealing why women are more susceptible to Alzheimer's disease than men. And uh, this is uh, why going forward, we'll, we'll focus on women. But this was just a pilot study, so we want to investigate this further, and the Women's Alzheimer's Movement Award will help us do that. Well, congratulations on the award. Uh, it sounds very exciting. Now, my understanding, if we go into the weeds a little bit with this, that you have a novel design with the project where you're looking at CSF markers to define Alzheimer's disease yeah, so the, what we're going to do is we're going to measure amyloid and tau in the cerebral spinal fluid. And uh, we now, as an Alzheimer's research community, have a well-designed guideline for how we can use amyloid and tau biomarkers for categorizing people into amyloid positive only versus amyloid and tau positive compared to amyloid tau and the neurodegeneration positive so it's kind of staging that we can do so we're going to take a group of alzheimer's patients and also uh, people of a similar age that are cognitively normal and we're going to measure a big panel of proteins in the plasma we're going to measure over seven thousand proteins and then try to tease apart uh, which ones are specific to these Alzheimer's disease-related biomarkers, amyloid and tau. So the amyloid tau neurodegeneration marker that you're doing, or the ATN, versus a clinical diagnosis, what's the plus and minus of doing that? It adds another biological layer to the clinical diagnosis. Uh, we will use clinical diagnosis as well. Uh, but it gives us confirmation that we actually have people that have amyloid and tau, which defines Alzheimer's disease, 
we do have um, heterogeneity in our cohorts, so we can have a lot of different underlying biological mechanisms involved in the disease. Uh, for example, we can have other proteins like alpha-synuclein, um, and they can present sometimes similarly to uh, Alzheimer's disease. So in this design, we're just being sure that we have people that are amyloid and tau positive and not uh, people that are amyloid negative, for example, because that could be a different type of dementia than what we're interested in for this study. And it seems somewhat obvious, but what are the advantages of blood-based biomarkers? Yeah, so the obvious thing is really that they're a little bit less invasive. So um, less invasive than a spinal test, spinal tap test, or even a brain scan. Uh, they're also uh, cheaper. But here really our focus is that they're in the circulation. So the immune system can easily be measured in the circulation. And there are studies that are showing that the circulation can be giving us some uh, evidence of what's happening in the brain. So we're going to use a combination of biomarkers that are present in the brain, but also those that are present in the blood. And hopefully we can find, you know, a differential immune response in um, Alzheimer's disease. And can you uh, enlighten us on any of these biomarkers specifically that you're looking at, or is that top secret? No, we, um, we're very focused on TRAM2, which is a protein that is uh, present in the circulation. It's in plasma and cerebral spinal fluid, and it has a soluble form. It also has a a protein that is present on the membrane of cells that are of myeloid origin, so microphage, macrophages and microglia. And we've been studying that, we've published on that, and that has an influence um, on other inflammatory factors. So there's evidence now that if TREM2 is upregulated, there's um, an influence on the broader immune response. So we're looking for um, a signature that is probably going to include TREM2 because TREM2 has been linked to Alzheimer's disease uh, genetically. And we also are seeing this relationship between TREM2 and the broader immune response. So we have a, a couple of other uh, immune factors that look like good candidates. So um, we're looking for a composite biomarker with TREM2 and these other inflammatory factors as well. But we have to validate the study before we can really be sure if those composite biomarkers are um, robust and feasible biomarkers. And so that's what this study is about. We're looking at a different method and a, a more proteins so that we can validate what we found in our pilot study. And maybe it doesn't make a difference, but does timing of when the biomarker is, is the blood is drawn morning, night, make a difference? Yeah, it does actually. And we have in our protocols to um, do our blood draws and the cerebral spine taps uh, early in the morning on people that have fasted overnight, because yes, it does have an effect on the measure. And in this project, you're not comparing directly to men, is that correct? You're just comparing different degrees of normal 
and mild cognitive impairment in Alzheimer's females. Is that correct? Or are you comparing to a male cohort? We are comparing to a male cohort. Our pilot study, we um, stratified the cohort by men and women. And then we saw that there was this big difference between the men and women within these specific ATM categories. Uh, so we're, yeah, we're looking at it from multiple directions. Uh, we're looking at the, within the ATN groups, are there differences between men and women? Uh, and then within women, are there differences um, between the ATN groups? Or within men, are there differences between ATN groups? And we are seeing that in our pilot study. We saw that there were some significant differences. So our hypothesis is that men will have a signature that's specific to these ATM groups, and then women will have a different signature that's specific to the ATM groups. And so therefore, you know, potentially, we would need to treat men and women differently so the therapeutics, the immunotherapies have to be different for women and men in order to be effective. And is there any reason to believe that ethnicity would affect the biomarkers? Yeah, that's a really good question. We are just now in the Alzheimer's field, we're starting to dig into that a little bit and, and people are seeing that there are differences in biomarkers. Um, you know, there's some differences in the levels, uh, for example, in African-Americans compared to um, whites. So that does complicate our studies a little bit. Unfortunately, our cohorts are primarily white, but we are now collecting um, more uh, samples from other groups. So we're hoping that a, you know, a future study would include those other races so that we really can determine if you know, this type of test is accurate in other populations. And of course, I'm way ahead on the where this can go, but I assume that you would hope that the biomarker could be used as a measure of treatment effect, that you would give some anti-inflammatory type treatment, and then you could measure the change in the biomarker. Is that correct? Is that your hope? Yes, yes, definitely. That would be the hope that the biomarker would track with treatment so that um, if we um, treat an individual, then the biomarker would change according to the treatment. And we do have some specific uh, treatments now uh, in Alzheimer's that are in clinical trials. For example, there's a TRIM2 antibody in clinical trials. And so, you know, the question would be that if you treated somebody with an um, antibody to TRIM2 and impact the cleavage process of the, the protein, so the function of the protein, if that has a broader uh, impact on the inflammatory response, and could we see uh, a difference in this biomarker, this immune response biomarker that we're trying to develop? Very exciting. Day-to-day uh, -day variability of, of these biomarkers, have you looked at that? If you did blood work on me seven days in a row, how's the correlation? Yeah, so for ATNs, those, that's been done. Or, and there is, it depends on what stage a person's at. It looks like in um, earlier in the development of amyloid and tau, there's more variability over time, whereas later there isn't. But for the immune response uh, signatures or immune factors, we have not done that. And we're hoping to do something like that. Okay. 
And is is there a thought that at some point in the disease that the inflammatory reaction may burn out? Or we don't know that? Yeah, there is. Um, it's a really good question. We're observing uh, differences in, for example, in TREM2. It looks like early in the disease, the levels of TREM2 are different than later. And in some of the preclinical models, it looks like if you have elevated soluble TREM2, there might be a beneficial impact of that, whereas later it would be detrimental in the disease. So uh, it's complicated. We have uh, different results according to the different stages. So that's partly why we really want to look at the different ATM stages so we can tease apart some of that. Mm -hmm. And are there medications that patients can't take for this study? We are going to be looking at the comorbidities and what therapeutics uh, the patients are on. But at this point, we we don't know. We would assume that if they're on anti-inflammatories, that there might be an impact on that. So it's a good question, but I, we you know we don't know at this point. So you've alluded to some of this a little bit, but uh, anything you found so far that's surprising or notable? And if it's something you've already discussed, uh, feel free to to raise that point again. Yeah. Well, the I think the differences that we saw between men and women, we were surprised that it was so, so different. We are seeing that uh, in women that are amyloid positive, but tau negative, there is an, an uncoupling with soluble TREM2. So the broader immune response is not associated with the soluble TREM2 response in women at that stage. Whereas in men, it's um, associated with an uncoupling of soluble trend 2, so a lack of relationship with the broader immune response in that early A-positive stage and also in the A-positive, T-positive stage, so the, the tau and amyloid stage. So it looks like in men, there's definitely a very distinct signature that might be... Uh, more pronounced for a, a longer period of time, whereas in women, it is a very distinct in that amyloid-only group. So we were surprised to see such a distinct signature. And my understanding is that females, on average, have a little more rapid decline uh, than men. Is that correct? Yes, and there's some um, complexity there in you know how long women have the disease. In um, women, as you said earlier, there's a real, a very strong association with age in Alzheimer's, and women can live longer than men. So I think that um, is still complicated. But yes, once women are uh, diagnosed there can be a much more rapid decline. Mm -hmm. So what do you foresee as potential clinical applications for your findings? And I know we're way ahead here. Yeah, so that really for us, what we're thinking is that there might be a way to prevent um, the accumulation of amyloid and tau by focusing on the immune response. And this might be particularly important 
uh, in women that are showing a, a different or maybe potentially more robust immune response early on. So the, the hope is that we can develop a signature and know, you know, kind of a precision medicine manner so that we can identify people that are having a certain type of immune response that would be detrimental and more rapid uh, decline or accumulation of amyloid and tau. So that then those people could be targeted um, with a more precise type of immune therapeutic. Mm-hmm. So where, where are you going to go next with your research? I mean, you got this to do, uh, then what? Well, um, our, our hope is to get further funding so that we can do a longitudinal study. We really like to follow people over, you know, a couple of years to see if our hypothesis is true over time. So for example, if people have a certain immune signature and they're ATN um, positive, if they have a certain immune signature uh, at one of the ATN stages, we're wondering if they convert to another signature when they are in another ATN stage. So the only way to, to determine that is if we have longitudinal studies and whether we follow people over time. So that's what we're hoping to do next after this initial study. Well, it's fascinating. It makes me wonder. I, I did previous uh, podcasts on the Cleveland Clinic brain study. Uh, mm-hmm. And depending on if and when you develop a, a signature, if that could even be incorporated into the uh, longitudinal brain study. But I guess food for thought. Yes. Yeah, that's a great study. That's a definitely longitudinal study. And, you know, that's what we need in uh, neurodegenerative disease is these longitudinal studies to really understand the biological mechanisms. Thanks for joining me today, Lynn. It sounds like an exciting time for Alzheimer's disease research, and I'm looking forward to what happens next. Thank you. This concludes this episode of Neuropathways. You can find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash neuropodcast, or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from experts in Cleveland Clinic's Neurological Institute on our ConsultQD website. That's consultqd.clevelandclinic.org slash neuro or follow us on Twitter at CLEClinicMD, all one word. And thank you for listening.